Hello and welcome to Propnex, the property podcast about all things related to the future of real estate. I'm delighted that you've joined me today. My name is Gavin Morgan, your host. If you'd like to know a little bit more about me, please check out www.propnex.com. That's P-R-O-P-N-X.com. Or drop me a line if you'd like to chat privately on Gavin R. Morgan at propnex.com. That's G-A-V-I-N-R-M-O-R-G-A-N at propnex.com. So, Michael Chenot, uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on Propnex today. Thank you so much for joining and coming on for a chat. Well, thank you for inviting me, Gavin. It's my pleasure. And I really look forward to this discussion. Today. Yeah, well, Mike, so, uh, so do I. And it's, uh, as I said, I mean, I'm so delighted to have the opportunity to speak to someone uh, who I met when I first came to New York to work back in 2015, uh, when we spent a bit of time around uh, downtown Manhattan, which was tremendously enjoyable, particularly given my imminent return to the shores of New York as well. So uh, just really fantastic. And uh, I look forward to continuing our relationship, of course, uh, when I do that as well. But Mike, maybe before we get into the nitty gritty of downtown and the other bits and pieces we've agreed to talk about today, maybe you could give just the listeners a quick introduction to yourself, please. Certainly, certainly. Well, I've been in the real estate business since about three weeks after graduating university back in 1983 and was hired by Goldman Sachs to help them build a new headquarters office building. 85 Broad Street in Lower Manhattan. And over the next 30 years, have moved from Goldman, building office buildings, not only in Manhattan, but around the world, to Merrill Lynch in a similar role, where we constructed headquarters buildings in New York, London, Tokyo, number of office complexes across the States and Asia. And then right around or right after 9-11, was recruited by Jones Lang LaSalle come and lead an account where they had been hired by the government of New York and the Port Authority to lead the redevelopment of the World Trade Center site. So my career is basically broken into three segments, about 10 years with Goldman, and their real estate group and developing office buildings. The same with Merrill Lynch. And then the past actually 17 years with Jones Lang LaSalle, almost all of it centered in lower Manhattan with all of the activity and the change that's gone on in the 40 years as the market. I mean, Mike, as you talk about that, um, I mean, it just speaks to a phenomenal portfolio of experience and I mean, I think to, you know, maybe to non-U.S. listeners, it sounds very specific to the lower Manhattan district. But um, just moving on to that, if you could define the area for us a little bit, because it is enormous in commercial terms. And it has always been, certainly in my career, one of the most significant business districts on the planet. So you could maybe just define it. Tell us just in high-level terms, a little bit about it, the district, its trajectory, how it's developed as a business and living destination right up to to what it is today. Certainly, certainly. You know, lower Manhattan 
in and of itself is about a 65 million square foot commercial office district. It's the heart of Manhattan. It's been that since the 1600s, where all of the commercial activity until probably right around World War II, when Midtown Manhattan began to be developed. Uh, but Lower Manhattan is where the heartbeat of New York is. It's where the New York Stock Exchange lays, where most of the financial institutions that are global bulge bracket banks and brokerage houses like J.P. Morgan Chase, Stanley, Merrill Lynch, uh, were born grew up uh, before they became global monoliths across the globe. So it is the birthplace of the U.S. financial marketplace. Now, that market has changed dramatically, dramatically in the past 15 years, from being just the home to finance in the New York Stock Exchange to a true multicultural, mixed-use, multi-industry environment. And it's been just wonderful to see. How would you say, um, I mean, Mike, I uh, lived quite close to that location in Tribeca part of the time that I spent in New York. It feels to me like it's a location that has become much more dynamic of late, you know, certainly the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, uh, dynamic in terms of the business services sectors uh, that it accommodates, but just it's it's a real place for living and entertaining and enjoying life um, re more recently than it ever has been. Or would you say that even historically it accommodated the full spectrum of activities that someone living in Manhattan would be, be seeking in that location? No, Gavin, a great insight. Actually, the transformation of Lower Manhattan really happened in the mid 1990s with a government effort known as the Giuliani Plan. You've probably seen Rudy Giuliani's name uh, in the news recently for certain activities surrounding the election. But Rudy Giuliani was our mayor in the mid-1990s and the early 2000s. And he put in place a plan that provided strong incentives for owners of real estate to convert office buildings to residential units. And that was really focused on, and literally the law said, pre-1961 office buildings were eligible for tax break and financial incentives that made it attractive for owners to take pre-1960 buildings, which were primarily you know, the stone, elegant, Wall Street-type buildings, and convert them into residential property. So yeah. we went from about 3,000 apartments in lower Manhattan, 65,000 apartments in five years, which totally wow. transformed. I mean, Mike, that is, yeah. I mean, that is significant by anywhere standards. And I've also 
heard so much about the good that Uniani has done for New York City, particularly dur during his tenure as mayor there. But I, I hadn't realized that he'd had such a profound impact uh, on the real estate landscape downtown. And as we both know, uh, permitting and driving change of use, often with residential as a focus, can do so much for the regeneration of areas with great potential, particularly old, strong locations that need to evolve. And it sounds very much that that was one of the big catalysts for the for the lower Manhattan that we see today, obviously back when that all kicked into place. Absolutely. And, and I would say the key to Rudy Giuliani's success were two things. One, that program, the Giuliani plan, which added tremendous inventory to the residential stock and provided options for middle-income occupiers to live in the city and work in the city. Prior to that, it was very much a barbell of very expensive apartments or subsidized housing. So that effort really diversified the um, residential base. And with that came improved retail on the street, diversified retail. The second thing that Giuliani did was adopted a very strong safe streets program. So New York used to be known as a place where a lot of panhandlers, a lot of um, free card Monte. Are you familiar with that? Ew, go on, explain, uh, please. Part Mate, where uh, uh, hustlers would set up card games on the street, and basically right, take wagers, okay. okay. and, and uh, sometimes the games were fair, and more times they were rigged. Uh, but uh, he had a strong focus on safe street, and that really amplified polls comfort of living, working, and staying in the city. So it was creating more residential stock at a worker or middle-class level affordable, and then making the streets safe. And yeah. I think that is one of the things you may have seen my comment about Mayor Adams, that I think personally the streets don't feel safe again. Just walking the streets, and this is a gentleman who's walked the streets in New York in almost every neighborhood for 35 plus years. And I'm looking, again, looking over my shoulder behind me, which uh, is disappointing after so much progress over 30 years. And I think that's one of the biggest things our local government has to decide to focus on safe street program. I mean, Mike, that's really interesting because you've spoken essentially about programs that have brought an affluent middle class into the city, which fuels the city on so many different levels, not just a workforce, but the spend and the you know so social dynamic as well as the economic yeah. dynamic that develops with that. And that is obviously under some degree of threat it would seem from what you're saying. 
Um, is a really quick fix needed uh, to, uh, to 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 help the city build on what it already has? Uh, is there a risk that it begins to lose that in a fundamental way that sort of threatens it for the medium term? Um, well, I I don't know that there's a quick fix. Yeah. These are, you know, social issues that the United States has to deal with. But consistent public policy will and can produce that kind of change. And I think when I said consistent and well um, communicated public policy is something the United States needs and has lacked over the last 24 months. So that we do not get into this situation we see where certain segments of society have one set of rules and other segments have another set of rules. And we're not really sure what we're bound by or supposed to do. Under Giuliani, then followed by Bloomberg, there was a very clear social order in New York City in terms of what was permitted and what was not permitted in terms of, obviously, um, nonviolent crime. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Just within the streets, what was permitted. Mm. There were social norms that everybody were expected to live to. So whether you were a middle-aged business person like myself or a 21-year-old young woman who just graduated from university and had moved to begin her career in New York, working for a global institution, whether technology, finance, business services, there was a level of comfort in the environment that you were moving into. And, and one of the great things about New York is, and you're an example of it, those new visitors and workforce come from all over the globe. We have people coming in every year from every corner of the earth to work in New York. And by having common standards and clear ground rules, it just makes it a much more enjoyable place where uh, we're kind of lacking that now. The leadership at the uh, local level Mm. to provide the social fabric. And Mike, um, you just... Taking that, and you know, earlier we talked about a downtown Manhattan, its evolution, its successful evolution, the dynamic of the place today, uh, with the right type of leadership or the, the return to the type of order that you're talking about, where's it going next? Let's say the, let, let's say the, the, the guardrails are put in place, as you're suggesting they need to be. Where could it go and how does downtown support uh, or be a part of the wider New York offer moving forward? Absolutely. So as I said, when I started in lower Manhattan, the 60 million feet of office space probably was occupied by 10 or 12 firms whose names we all know. You know, as I said, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan Chase, Merrill Lynch, over the 30 years, not only did it diversify out of that segment, but the last 10 years, 
firms like Uber, Spotify, um, Condé Nast, the media, technology, telecom have embraced that marketplace because it's a bit more vibrant. There's a bit more of a gritty local community that mixes many different market segments and the transportation network from Brooklyn, Queens, and our outer boroughs, as well as New Jersey, is on that. So we went to that very diverse marketplace, which is why I think we'll see the market come back, whether it's 12 months or 24 months. It's certainly not going to be five years. But the diversity of tenant base and knowledge base is there that it's not a one-trick pony or a one-game. But, you know, the diversity is there in lower Manhattan. We didn't have earlier. And I think after two days there, we talked about my recent trips. Um, where we're starting to see activity are in the smaller firms, 12 people to 35 people that are again saying, time to get back to work. And I want to be in lower Manhattan because of that diversity and, frankly, because of the value of lower Manhattan vis-a-vis Park Avenue or some of the midtown segments. So you think a lot of it, so Mike, you think a lot of its future potential lies around the diversity and the dynamic and the fact that the price point makes it competitive for corporates and therefore gives them the flexibility to be dynamic within their workplaces to make them better places for employees to be. Is that what I'm hearing? Absolutely. So prior to COVID, the call it downtown uniform had changed from a blue pinstripe suit with a white shirt and a red tie to business casual khakis, uh, comfortable shirt and a vest. And uh, so the formality had gone and that was across the board from the financial sector, through the tech sector, through the media sector. Uh, I think where we need to see leadership from public sector, whether it's the mayor, the police, the governor, is getting that workforce comfortable enough to begin to return to work. And as I said, we're seeing it more at the lower end of the scale in terms of four size than we are at the large scale. So the large scale firms, the bulge bracket firms, the large tech firms, are still seeing 30 to 40% of the workforce reluctant to come back. That will happen, no doubt about it. But I think, as I talked about before, the resurgence of the retail, the Safe Streets program, and rebuilding that experience, right? Going into a big city in the morning and enjoying the camaraderie, and then the commute back home is part of the experience. And the vibrancy of that experience is what spurs your creativity. It spurs your desire to take some risks and do some things. Yeah. Yeah, like absolutely. I mean, I think a lot, most people like to feel like they're part of something. And it, it does release endorphins and it 
it gets you know it excites yes. and gives and gives gives people you know it's part of what gives people a sense of purpose um so mike i mean not that we you know as we head toward a conclusion uh, to our conversation today uh, one of the one of the things that i was thinking about are the accelerators that help downtown evolve even faster than it has done. Uh, you've been very clear. Uh, you feel that the public sector or continued attention from the public sector and the mayor are going to be important in terms of downtown reestablishing itself and pushing on, uh, but also the continued development of the location as not just a dynamic location, but developing retail and entertainment uh, landscape as well as an office landscape are key uh, and things that you expect to continue to happen uh, that will ensure the secure future of downtown uh, as the major or one of the major component parts of the social and commercial and residential offer in Manhattan. Absolutely. You know, remember, in, in the career I've had there, I'd say there's three major shocks Lower Manhattan has gone through. The first one was the technology shock to Wall Street. Now, when I started there, the trading of stocks and bonds involved physical delivery, meaning runners would literally take the 100 shares or 1,000 shares and run from, they're called runners, Morgan Stanley and run over to J.P. Morgan Chase and deliver the shares. That went away early 90. Totally changed the demographic and the total amount of workforce in Lower Manhattan. Second one uh, was obviously 9-11. As bad of a shock to the marketplace as we've ever seen. And then the last one was the market collapse in the finance system with Lehman Brothers' demise and the financial crisis. It's weathered those storms, and it will weather this storm. Uh, the recovery, as I said, is going to take a coordinated effort by both private sector and the anchors of lower Manhattan, as well as the public sector. But we've weathered those storms before. And I'm very bullish on the next two years as we weather this storm. Okay. Well, Mike, I think that's a great note to end on. Um, it's extremely positive. Uh, personally, I agree. You can never bet against a place like New York and certain a location like downtown that has led the city and ultimately you just cemented its place as, a fun, as one of the most fundamentally important districts um, of the city. Uh, hopefully, Mike, we can maybe do this again sometime within the next year to talk about how much progress has been made and how things have come back the way that we both hope that they will. But for now, it just leaves it to me to thank you very much for coming on PropNext to have this conversation. Um, and I look forward to continuing it with you on a, on a, on a future conversation. Michael Chenot, thank you very much for joining us. It's been my pleasure, Gavin, and best of wishes to you and your family. And Stay you safe. Thank you, Mike. You too. So that's a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank you very much for tuning in to listen today. 
and hope to welcome you back to hear some of our future shows. As I mentioned earlier, if you'd like to learn a little bit more about me, look at www.propnex.com. That's P-R-O-P-N-X.com. Or drop me a line on Gavin R. Morgan at propnex.com. That's G-A-V-I-N-R-M-O-R-G-A-N at propnex.com. I hope to hear from you soon. And thank you very much again for tuning in today. All the very best. 